0: Hey beauties, we have an incredible, incredible episode coming your way. I'm so excited about today's guest. I've been trying to get her on the show for almost two years now when I went back to my email to look at when I originally reached out to her team. Sometimes these episodes take a while to come together, but it was worth the wait. <laughs> Dr. Kristen Neff has changed the way that I speak to myself and ultimately the actions that I therefore take. And the way that my life reflects my inner world. I truly believe if you tune into and listen to this episode and apply some of the things that she is talking about and some of the tools that she shares, it has the ability to change your life and the way that you feel about yourself in a really profound way. So hang tight for this episode. Before we dive in, I've been thinking a lot about the importance of who you surround yourself with. You know, looking around at my family and my friends right now, I feel so much gratitude in regards to the way that they support me the inspiration that they bring to the table you know everyone's doing these cool things and or just being a very warm compassionate inspiring, incredible human being, and I feel so lucky to be surrounded by these people. But I'm also aware that I've been specific about who I've chosen to spend time with. I want to dive into this in a lot more detail, but I want you to remember that if you don't feel like you have that friend group right now, or that family, or that one person who's really supportive and has a positive impact on your life, that you can still surround yourself with positive voices and positive influences. One of my favorite ways to do this right now is through podcasts. As you know, I've been going out for my early morning walk, not too early, but just early enough to give me 30 to 45 minutes out there on the trails. And I listen to inspiring, motivating, or grounding podcasts that really infuse my mind with the kind of dialogue and beliefs that I want to carry. It's not always what comes most automatically to me, but it is the way that I want to think and it is what I want to believe in. And so I just want to remind you that even if you are not in a place where you're surrounded by inspiration and love and compassion and people who are holding you to be the best version of yourself, there are a lot of podcasts out there that can do just that for you. So I know for me, my anxiety is often really high in the morning and I can get stuck in these looping Thought patterns that aren't serving me. So I put my headphones on and I go out and I listen to something that is going to help me raise my vibration, my energy levels, my beliefs about myself and what I can do in this world to a higher level. There are lots of different ways that we can surround ourselves with positivity. That's just one that I'm sharing with you right now, but you can also be aware of the shows that you're watching, the media that you're consuming, who you're following on social media all of these voices and presences in your life, I don't even know if that's a word, but we're going to go with it, they matter. They matter. So start looking at which relationships and voices you want to welcome into your life and keep holding them close. So without further ado, let's welcome the guest of the hour today, Dr. Kristen Neff. Dr. Neff received her doctorate from the University of California at Berkeley, and she now is an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin she is a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research and is somebody who is referenced time and time and time again in the work that I do as a coach in therapy uh, I mean she's really really changed the construct of how we support individuals in feeling better in their in who they are first and foremost but also empowering them to take action to better their lives. Kristen has written uh, over four books right now. Her most recent book, Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive, came out in 2021. And I am, I mean, I am just, I feel like I'm in the midst of a legend. So Kristen, thank you so much for being here today with us. Hi. Hi. You've really shaped the inner mind of so many human beings. Do you realize
1: that? <laughs> well, um, it's not me. It's shaped the inner minds. It's self-compassion, but but I have played a small role. So thank you for saying that. That's you've really
0: taken a concept that I feel like we can't say it's a new concept because, you know, many philosophers and Buddhism and uh, lots of avenues where this has been talked about for a very long time. But you've brought it, I feel, to the forefront in a way that is tangible to the modern mind and in the modern world.
1: Yeah, I think the research helps so that people don't scoff at it when the research is there they they pay more attention and making yeah making it into concrete tangible practices that don't necessarily involve meditation so it's you know you can do it in, your, in the middle of your day. I think that's been helpful.
0: Yeah. We're talking all about self-compassion today. And if you've ever scoffed at the idea of self-compassion or thought like, how am I supposed to get anything done? If I'm self-compassionate, doesn't that mean I'm just going to be stuck as I am right now forever and ever. It's not motivating. Well, get ready for this ride because that's absolutely not the truth. And today I have Dr. Kristen Neff joining me. She's going to talk to us all about self-compassion and tools that you can use to welcome it into your own life to really truly transform the way you see not only yourself but the world around you. Before we dive into all, you know, the definition and the science and the tools and tricks I'm always so curious to know, how did you land here? How did you land in this place where self-compassion has become (laughs) probably a lot of what you talk about? You've written two books on it. You've done a TED Talk on it. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, so for me, it all started from personal practice. It was my last year of graduate school. I was finishing up my Ph.D., And I was a mess. I had gotten out of a divorce and it was a really messy divorce. I was under a lot of stress about, okay, I'm getting my PhD and the job market's really tight and there's no guarantee. And I was just really worried about the future. And so I had heard that mindfulness meditation was supposed to be good for stress. So I started to learn mindfulness meditation and that took a little while to get the hang of, but luckily that the group that caught it. I talked about self-compassion the very first night I went. They talked about the importance of cultivating compassion explicitly for yourself as well as others. And so, you know, I I just tried it out. I started trying to be more supportive toward myself, you know, hey, Kristen, you're going through a hard time. You're doing the best you can. You know, I'm here for you. Just the way I would talk to a friend, quite naturally. Felt a little weird, but I did it anyway. And I was just so amazed by the immediate difference it made in my ability to cope with things. You know, it didn't make my problems go away, but it just helped support me as I was going through each day. And so then when I I did get a job at, as a professor at UT Austin, and again, people have been talking about self-compassion and spiritual traditions or even like humanistic psychology, but no one had actually researched it. And so that was the contribution I, I you might say that I made as I developed a scale to measure it and I started researching it. And now there's well over 4,000 studies. It's, it's, It's a whole field in and of itself right now. It really
0: truly is. And it's so incredible because as you said, sometimes with these ideas that are perhaps a little more abstract, or they were at one point, we can bypass them or consider it to be too fluffy or whatnot. But now we're really seeing that Self compassion, it's not a bunch of fluff, that it actually has profound effects. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like, what are we learning about it?
1: Well, first of all, it makes you very strong, both mentally and it also increases your physical health because, of course, the two are connected. So, fewer negative states of mind like depression, anxiety, stress, you know, suicidal ideation. So, just to kind of unpack very quickly what self compassion is, you know, in the Latin, passion means suffer and come means with is how how are we with our own suffering? Are we with it in a friendly, supportive way, the way it might be to for a friend or loved one? Or do we just blame ourselves or shame ourselves or just like suck it up? You know, don't complain. And what we know is when we're with our difficult moments, whether, you know, it could be an external thing like the pandemic, it could be a thought like, I don't like the way I look, or I don't like, you know, what I just said. Anytime we're uncomfortable, if we're with that, discomfort in a warm, supportive, friendly way. You know, how can I help? I'm here for you being understanding, not letting yourself off the hook, but just acknowledging that. Yeah, I'm an, I'm an imperfect human being like everyone else. Mm. When we do that, it, it keeps us from being overwhelmed by our negative emotions. So things like anxiety comes from being overwhelmed by fear, depression, overwhelmed by, you know, feelings of inadequacy or sadness. Suicidal ideation, if you think about that, I mean, it's such a tragedy when some people, they're just so overwhelmed by their negativity that they you know, rather just find some other option just to end the pain. So what compassion is, it's a way to be with the pain in a supportive way. Again, it doesn't make it go away, but it helps you hold it, helps you, it gives you a lot of resilience so that you can cope with the difficult stuff without being so knocked over by it. And that's why it's so powerful. So here's the cool thing: so it reduces negative states of mind, but it's also linked to things like happiness and optimism and life satisfaction. Even though it's directly aimed at suffering, you know what we know first of all is, it feels good to feel kind. You know, it feels good to acknowledge that you're a human being like everyone else. It feels good to be, to be actually instead of just stuffing things down, to be present with life as as it's unfolding moment by moment. So um, it's linked to, yeah, happiness and, and, and hope and all these positive states of mind. And then just a ton of other things that's linked to like greater motivation. You know, the motivation of self-compassion is different than the motivation of self-criticism. They both work, you know, mm-hmm. but self-compassion works better than self-criticism because self-criticism is like, you better change or else it creates performance anxiety, creates a lot of like fear of failure. It actually undermines you in the long run. The motivation of self-compassion is like, "Hey, I care about you," including maybe you need to get off your butt and do something because what you're doing is not working out very well. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a friend might, you know, hopefully, a good friend will say, "Hey, no, you really need to leave that relationship, or you need to make change jobs. It's not good for you. I care about you." But it is coming from a place of care and encouragement, as opposed to harsh condemnation, and it's actually a lot more effective. We we know that from the research now.
0: I mean, there's so much to unpack here. I want to go right back to the beginning, something you said that is so profound. Can we be with our suffering with more kindness and compassion? And I feel sometimes, especially in the Western world, that we want to bypass the difficult times. We don't want to be the one who's suffering, but there's this ideal of being happy and successful. And if you're not that, you're not doing it right.
1: Right. And,
0: I've been on my own journey, which I won't get into because I've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but I've had debilitating anxiety. I've had suicidal thoughts, you know, I've been in that low, low place. And the tendency when you're there is to just hate yourself, like Mm -hmm. to just hate that you are like this, to feel like a burden to your family, to feel like you're having to ask so much from friends. So I've had to really work on finding that self compassionate voice in those moments. Now, this journey has also led me to really go deep with meditation. I'm doing my meditation teacher training right now and have started to, through that, learn a lot about Buddhism, which oh. is absolutely incredible. And one of the core lessons within Buddhism is that we are all suffering, it is part of human existence it's not something to be feared to run from to try to escape from it is something that we will all experience in life in moments and that there's a lot to learn there
1: yeah there's a lot to learn and you know imperfection is what it means to be human I mean yes it is true that some people suffer more than others we don't want to whitewash that and ignore that I mean yes But imperfection, whether it's personal imperfection or living a life, you know, in in a world that's imperfect, that is by definition what it means to be human. And so what self-compassion does is it allows us to embrace our humanity. We'll try the best we can to do the best we can. Of, Of course we will because we care, but we don't fight and rail against imperfection as if it's something that shouldn't be happening. When we think it shouldn't be happening, then not only is it difficult, but we're also angry at ourselves or others because it's the way it is. You know, we think it shouldn't be this way. Who said it shouldn't be this way? That's the plan we signed up for as human beings is struggle and difficulty and challenges and making mistakes. I mean, that and is joy and life. love like all of it. Together. Also, and joy and love. Yes. All together. And, you know, we do learn a lot from our, our challenges as well. So it's not like there's no value in it either. We have a saying in the self-compassion world, which is the goal of practice is simply to be a compassionate mess. Ah. In other words, we're still going to be a mess. <laughs> if try as we may, you you know, you can meditate for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you'll still be a mess. But the goal is just to hold the whole mess with compassion, that's actually achievable. Mm. And it means that first of all, the mess isn't so debilitating, yeah. not so overwhelming. And there's a certain satisfaction in feeling that kindness within your own heart towards yourself and others. You know, it actually feels good. Compassion activates the reward centers of the brain, even though it's directly aimed at suffering. (laughs) So it it is a way to find meaning in life by giving yourself compassion in those really dark times.
0: Okay. So we have this reality that there is suffering in life, that even if we get the body we desire or the money in our bank account, that really all of these external things, they can't protect us from the reality that there will at times be suffering for some more than others, but that it is just a natural part of life. So then we can bring in this idea of self-compassion and speaking kindly to ourselves. Now you break this down really beautifully into three parts. Would you mind sharing those parts?
1: Yeah. It's important because they're like the three ingredients. If you want to like bake a loaf of bread, what ingredients do you need? The first is actually mindfulness. And, you know, people have heard a lot more about mindfulness and self compassion, but it's just the ability to acknowledge and be aware of what's happening as it's happening as opposed to either pretending it's not a problem, you know, just kind of like suck it up, which in Western culture, we're told to do that. Right. So acknowledging I'm having a really hard time or I'm feeling badly right now, but we do it in a way with mindfulness, there's some, some space around it. Right. It's not like sometimes we're aware that we're suffering or having a hard time, but we get lost in it. We're drowning in it. And we have no perspective from which to say, Hey, you need some help. <laughs> Right. So it's it's kind of there's some perspective taking there's some space where we, we step outside of ourselves to say, you know, yes, you're having a hard time. How can I help? So that's the mindfulness. And then, of course, it's, kindness is a huge part of it, which is care, encouragement. Sometimes it can be kind of tough love, right? Because again, if we're doing something that's harmful to ourself or others, it's not kind just to say, oh, that's okay, right? So we accept ourselves, but we don't necessarily accept all our behaviors and certainly not all the situations we find ourselves in. That's kindness. That's kind of that benevolence, that goodwill. And then really important, what makes it self-compassion and not self-pity is a sense of connectedness with others. I call it common humanity. In other words, Often, when especially if we've made a mistake or we feel inadequate in some way, but even just when things happen, there's this tendency to feel like it's just me. Everyone else in the world is living a perfect life. You know, it's just me who's failed or is having this struggle. We know logically it's not true, but emotionally it feels as if it's true. And it's like we're kicking ourselves when we're down because not only are we hurting, we feel alone, we feel weird, we feel like something's wrong with us for having this happen. Like you said, you know, in times of really low times, you've like got, I'm a burden, you know, what's wrong with me? We blame ourselves. And so common humanity just, just reminds us of the truth. It's actually just a type of wisdom that says everyone struggles, everyone makes mistakes. And also it kind of reduces that illusion of like, that we're in total control. We think that we should be able to get it all right. Like perfection is possible if we just try hard enough. It's not, you know, genetically we're limited, we're limited by our family, our resources, our culture, you know, our history, so many things bigger than us go into what happens to us moment by moment. So self-compassion like frames our present moment of difficulty in light of this larger experience, a human experience, a cultural experience, historical experience. That's really what compassion is. It's a type of understanding. When we do that, it helps us yeah, not take it so personally, right? Again, we take responsibility. Paul Gubert, he's another self-compassion researcher. He has a great phrase. It's not our fault, but it is our responsibility, In other words, no one else is going to step in and make these decisions for us. It's down to us. But we can understand that, you know, in your low moments, would you have chosen those? If someone said, hey, would you like to have this experience? You would have said, no, of course not. You didn't choose it for just so many complex reasons. That's just the way your life unfolded. And so all of us are like that. Every single person has those moments. You know, it it feels like it's just me, but of course it's not just you. That's really key to self-compassion. Some people joke, I should have called it inner compassion as opposed to self-compassion because there's not a lot of separate self there. It's just right. turning the lens of compassion inward as well as outward, not instead of, but in addition to. It's having you know kind of 360 degree complete compassion as opposed to most people are usually pretty compassionate to others, at least the people that are close to and are much, much harsher with themselves. So self-compassion just corrects that bias we have. I'm so glad that
0: you mentioned this piece around still taking responsibility for how we move forward or how, or the choices that we make so that, yes, there are lots of things that have impacted our lives our genetics, our socioeconomic background, our skin color, the experience we had with bullies at school. There's so many pieces to our very complex stories. However, we do have some choice in how we move forward from that place. Talk to me a little bit about tough love, self-compassion, because I don't think I've heard you talk about this piece. And I feel like that's an area where it would be helpful to even hear some dialogue around what that sounds like.
1: Yeah. So my latest book is actually called Fierce Self-Compassion. And so this is really where I've been focusing lately, talking about there are two faces of self-compassion, the tender and the fierce, and both are equally important. So tender self-compassion is about acceptance. It's about acceptance of ourselves as human beings, right? And also acceptance of our difficult emotions, difficult experiences and emotions arise. You know, we need to kind of be there with ourselves in a tender way, accepting, soothing, comforting, validating. It's kind of in a way what an unconditionally loving parent does for their child when their child's upset, you know, I accept you as you are. I'm here for you. What do you need? It's a gentle energy, Parents, as I'm sure you know, it's not just about being accepting and gentle. You know, if if your kid's seven years old, it isn't toilet trained yet, you know, maybe you've been a little too accepting, right? Right. So in other words, um, behaviors, again, behaviors and situations often need change. One really important thing that compassion does is it allows us to stand up for ourselves you know, to speak up to say no to draw boundaries. That's a really important part of self-compassion is not saying yes to everything anyone asks, not just accepting being oppressed or treated unfairly or you know someone crossing your boundaries. And that can be very, I call it mama bear self-compassion. There's mama, mama bear, and there's mama bear. Right? Like <laughs> um, Both sides of a parent ideally as well. And that's kind of the, the tough love piece, meaning, but it's warm. Sometimes people use tough love and there's like a coldness to it. It's always a warm. Mm. It always comes from a place of care, but it can be quite firm. You know, if maybe you have addiction issues, for instance, you can accept yourself 100%. But your behaviors, if they're harming you, we don't want to accept them. We want to try our best. You know, we can't. We can't control things. But we want to try our very best to make healthy change. Also, motivation. Again, that's where that really comes in—the encouragement to make a change. It's not self-compassionate just to get by, just to say, "Okay, I'm not going to try." Or, you know, I, I care about myself, so you know, who cares about my dreams? Just like a parent, hopefully, a really loving parent tries to do everything they can to help their child reach their dreams. Mm. You know, they can't control it, but they're there, they're supportive, they're encouraging. So we can take that same, we need to take that same same stance with ourselves. It's not compassionate just to say, oh, well, who cares? I mean, I don't care.
0: (laughs) I think this is such an important piece that often gets missed in this whole conversation around self-compassion, which then I think has some people misjudging it as just complacency or we're not moving anywhere. We're just accepting everything as it is right now. A lot of Women listening to the show right now are on their own journey with body image and their relationship with food or their mental health, anxiety, depression. So let's talk about one of those examples specifically. And the one that's coming to mind right away is around body image, the thoughts that we have about our body being right or wrong. So say somebody's feeling like through the pandemic, and with elevating levels of stress, or maybe in this chapter of life, they've been working really hard, or they have young kids and their thoughts are, what has happened to my body? I feel like I've let go of myself. I'm having a really hard time accepting this body that I'm in right now. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about how we would practice self-compassion.
1: Yeah. So this is actually also a really good time to distinguish self-compassion from self-esteem. Right? There's a very big literature on how self-compassion helps women, especially, um, have a better body image, reduce eating disorders, et cetera. So self-esteem is a judgment of worth. Am I worthy or am I not worthy? And it's usually contingent. It's contingent. For, for women, actually, the number one thing is, do I look the way I want to look? Am I successful? It was important to me. So um, it's also contingent on being special and above average. It's not okay to be average. I've got to be better than other people. So um, self-esteem, we often don't have it, right? We go up and down. So women with body image usually invest a lot of their self-worth into how they look. And when they look the way they want to look, their image goes up, not, not necessarily even that much, but more that you know when they gain some weight or maybe you know, their body doesn't look the way they like or people don't react to them. I mean, talk about getting older, right? Over 50, you start becoming invisible. And so it's kind of, oh, that's different. And so your self-esteem is contingent on that often. Self-compassion isn't a judgment or an evaluation of worth. It's unconditional self-worth, right? In other words, I am worthy of compassion and you are worthy of compassion because we're flawed human beings. That's all you gotta do to earn (laughs) self-compassion is be a flawed human being. If you're a robot, you might be out of luck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you're a flawed human being, that, that's the only criteria, right? And so what we know from the research, for instance, it's much more stable. The sense of self-worth is stable over time, where that self-esteem goes up and down. And in terms of body image, so we had we did one study where we had a woman with body image concerns just practice the meditations and, and guided practices on my website for uh, three weeks. And then we followed them up, I think, a month later And what we found is not only did their body image improve, but their sense of self-worth was less contingent on their appearance. So they actually changed, you know, the reason they were valuing themselves. And so here's the thing, we are unconditionally worthy as souls, as human beings. But, you know, there may be some legitimacy to wanting to be healthier, or exercise more, maybe the way you're eating isn't good for you. Or, you know, in other words, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you can't care about those things, but your worth as a human being isn't contingent on it. Yeah. And that's what's so important.
0: You know, it's hard, I can hear people saying, but in this society, our worth is contingent on it, or at least it really feels like that, because we've been told in so many
1: ways, so many angles that it is. Yeah. And, and for women, it's actually true. We have been value-based. We're still value-based on our looks. Absolutely. That's why, in a way, self-compassion is kind of a big F you to society and to patriarchy. Right. And all these people that say, you know, your worth is only if you if you do this or if you look a certain way, if you succeed, succeed, you know, something no, my worth is unconditional. Again, it doesn't mean I'm not going to try to succeed or, you know, if I care about it and it seems to be healthy for me, of course I will. It's very much like if you imagine the ideal unconditionally loving parent. I mean, some some parents aren't unconditionally loving. Some parents make their love contingent on things and, and they have messed up kids. But an unconditionally loving parent you love your kid regardless in good times and a bad, you try to guide them. You try to help them make the right choices. You try to have them be healthy, succeed in life, but your love isn't contingent on it. And that's really what self-compassion gives us. Yeah. And so other people may judge us and, you know, we have to, we do live in reality. So you may, you may decide, you know, you want to have certain, a standard of beauty, or maybe you just hear a, a You know, my best friend, she's very aesthetically oriented and she likes to look a certain way. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like maybe you're a weather, I don't know, if you're a weather person or something like that, (laughs) maybe it is important to get your hair done, you know, but you just don't buy into the lie. And it is a lie that your worth is contingent on other people liking you or um, liking the way you look or your certain things of success. What what you're doing is instead of using external sources of worth, the source becomes internal. But you still, you know, you still live your life and do all those normal things, but it's different. So, so for instance, drawing boundaries is I like to teach people, typically women, they usually come to my workshops, on um, how to draw boundaries because often we don't draw a boundary because we want people to like us and we're afraid. But if we say no, they won't like us as much. And you know what? It's true. <laughs> Society would really like it if we just met other people's needs and did everything they want and just like, you know, didn't care about ourselves at all and just sacrifice for our husbands that are, you know, but it's like, well, I'm sorry. This is what's good for me and what I've decided. And you may like me a little less. Sorry about that. I like myself. But again, it's not extreme. None of this is extreme. And, and sometimes you do decide, I'm going to say yes, even I, even though I want to say no, because it's actually more pragmatic too. Maybe it's your yeah. boss who's asking you something, you know, and you don't want to lose your job. So you have to be wise about it, but it's really just letting go of the illusion that our worth is somehow contingent on any changing circumstances. And, and, you, and, this, and this is where self-compassion starts to become more spiritual, really, because there is a spiritual core to it. It's not so much what happens to us that gives us our worth. The fact where our worth comes from just being aware, awareness itself, this loving, connected presence that we bring to every moment, positive, negative, or neutral. That's where our worth lies. And also, if you go far enough, that's where your happiness lies as well, because things change. We know that. Absolutely. Everything is impermanent, everything is in flow. But the one constant, I don't want to get too technical about that, but um, awareness, kind of knowing what's happening. And you might say even when we're dreaming, we're kind of part of our brain knows what's happening. Once you start to get your worth from this just internal sense of awareness, of knowing, and of course, some people would argue that this awareness and knowing is universal. Mm. You know, that's really where we get our worth from. What do you mean when you say that this knowing is universal? It doesn't have to be religious, but if you think of a concept like God or universal consciousness or, yes. or universal oneness, it's kind of a more spiritual idea. Yeah, that's all oneness, right? So, what part of this isn't worthy? You know, if you yeah. want, if you're if you're religious, what part of God isn't worthy? You know, it's like really, you're going to say that some is worthy and some is not, right? Yeah. And our awareness, the knowing, our ability to experience. What happens after self-compassion practice is instead of being so entranced by what's happening, you start to become really attuned to the way you're relating to what's happening. Am I aware? Am I present? Is the light of awareness shining through me? Am I feeling love? Is my heart open? Am I feeling connected to others? So those qualities of awareness, of like a loving, connected presence, is where you actually start to find your, also your value and meaning in life. This is really profound and we just
0: took it a whole level deeper for everybody. So some of you are nodding your head and you, it's just landing. And if it's not landing, that's totally okay. As I'm yeah. learning in my meditation teacher training, half of it's landing. No, like a third of it's landing and two thirds are going over my head. And my teachers keep saying, just... Allow what is landing and as you just start to dip your toe into these things or practice, you know, noticing that inner dialogue a little bit more, noticing if you can shift it slightly to speak more compassionately to yourself, you'll start feeling things in your body and that's where the insight and understanding really sinks in. You know, right. all of these are ideas. It's not a belief
1: system. It's an experience.
0: It's an experience. We. Okay. It's not something that we can explain to you and you can hear it and then all of a sudden embody it. It's something that we have to practice. So yeah. for everyone who's listening right now, who's like, okay. I think I have some work to do in this area Mm -hmm. and maybe it's really obvious, you know, you know that you're beating yourself up in your mind, you know, that you're hard on yourself and perhaps others in your life, or maybe it's a bit more subtle. Maybe it's holding you back in small little
1: ways. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're just a little feelings of disappointment or coldness. And for some people that's the way it manifests, but you still benefit from a more explicitly warm, supportive, encouraging stance toward yourself.
0: Okay. Before we dive into the tools, can you just go in a little bit more on that side of things? Cause I think most people listening will probably fall more into the side where they're not so hard on themselves and bullying yeah. themselves. It's the subtle, subtle ways. Yeah. that. So to some
1: is that, You know, it's, it's worth exploring yeah. how you're, we all have a, an inner critic. You know, mm-hmm. some people it's very strong. It's harsh. It says mean things. Other people might be just like, yeah. you know, something like that, more subtle, or it's like, coldness or feeling like you really should have been able to get, get it right. You know, can you I mean, feel it
0: in your body sometimes? Like sometimes I'll notice you know, when something doesn't go my way, it's a constricted
1: feeling. tightening. Yeah, it's very it feels, subtle. It feels tight and constricted. Whereas when you're being compassionate, it feels warm and open. And again, but it, it might be quite energetic it, sometimes it's like a fierce mama bear, you know, it's like right. powering, right? Back straight. But it's coming from a place of care. That, yeah. That's the real difference. And by the way, if you're wondering why why isn't this more natural? Well, there's actually evolutionary reasons for it. We evolved actually to be self-critical because we're, we go into fight, flight, or freeze mode when we're personally threatened. So we fight ourselves, we beat ourselves up, we flee into shame, perceived isolation, we get stuck with rumination, You know, we freeze. Um, when your friend is upset, you aren't personally threatened. Instead, you rely on the other system, which is the care system, which evolved to like keep groups happy and like keep parents attached to their children, et cetera. So care is natural, but care actually evolved to take care of other people. So we are doing a little bit of a hack. We're using this system that developed more naturally for others, and we're turning it inward. We're doing a U-turn. So that's why it feels a little weird, doesn't come totally naturally. But the good news is is it can be done. And the body doesn't really know the difference if someone else is being kind to you or you're being kind to yourself. Great point. Touch, for instance, it responds the same way to self-touch as it does to other touch. And by the way, this is not to replace other people, but we don't want to be totally dependent on them because they may or may not be able to be there for us. Or if they are there for us, we're beating ourselves up. We may not take in their care. Wow. Great
0: point. Okay. Love that. So everyone just tuning in and reflecting, doing that little checkup from the neck up on your own experience with your inner critic and how that shows up for you. Is he or she quiet, loud? What triggers that inner critic to come out? When do you notice that they're there more than other times? And then do a little check-in as well. Like how do you generally respond in those situations? What does your body do? Where does your mind go? What words come out of your mouth? And this is the perfect starting time to practice self-compassion. We don't need to judge that we don't need to beat yourself up because you're someone with a loud inner critic and it explodes out of your mouth. You're a human being. We're all flawed. We all have moments of pain. So we can start this practice right now. And then where would you guide everyone from there? How do we start?
1: Well, so a very easy thing to do is to rely on the resources you've already built. Most people by the time they're adults have learned how to be compassionate to others, especially friendships. In some ways, a good friendship is defined by these warm supportive relationships. Like sometimes your family, you're kind of stuck with them, you may or may not get along with them, but a good friend by definition is someone there's some, some mutual support. So really easy thing to do is just to say, what if my really good friend was in the exact same situation I'm in? what would I naturally say to my friend? If I wanted to be there for my friend, what would I say? What would I do? We kind of know it intuitively. And then we just use, we try to use a similar internal tone of voice, say something similar to ourselves as we would. So that's one way. Also, don't dismiss the power of physical touch. Just like, you know, when your friend puts her hand on your shoulders, like there's something about as mammals, as humans, we respond to touch as a signal of care. Put your hands on your heart, on your own shoulder, maybe touch your face, because what you do there is you're actually working through the nervous system. You're deactivating sympathetic activity and activating (laughs) parasympathetic. You know what I mean? You're actually changing your physiology Mm -hmm. with touch and that can make it easier to bring in. And then you can also just bring in the three ingredients of self-compassion. Be mindful of this is hard common humanity. I'm not alone. It's part of life and just some kindness and words of kindness and warmth and encouragement. Beautiful.
0: If you're struggling to think of what you would say to a good friend, or maybe you didn't grow up with a loving, nurturing parent. So that language and dialogue hasn't been modeled to you. Do you have any meditations or resources there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my website is designed to be like, one-stop shopping. It's all resources, lots of guided practices. We actually have a a guided practice called compassionate friend, where you just imagine an ideally compassionate figure. It could be like, you know, a coach could be, you know, the Dalai Lama could be, um, you know, a movie character, right? So even if we haven't had the good fortune to have someone really compassionate, we kind of often imagine what that would sound like. What would really be helpful to hear a good coach, something like that. And also, if, you, if you're if you interested, you can take the self-compassion scale he developed and get your score. And that will also give you some sense about whether this is something that you may want to pay some attention to or not. Mm, I will make sure that I link to everything below.
0: And I will also <laughs> say the first stop is to grab one of Kristen's books. Dr. Neff has two, well, four books, really. I've read Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. And it was incredible. Her most recent book is Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power and Thrive. And then you also have a workbook. So I love this
1: piece. Yeah, yeah. So the last 10 years with my colleague, Chris Germer, we've developed something called the Mindful Self-Compassion Program. It's a, it's a training program, an eight-week training program. You can take it online. You can take workshops. We have a, the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, where you actually take yourself through the eight-week training program in workbook format. And so if you're into practice, if you want to know how to actually do this, it's not just ideas. This is and There's a lot of empirical support. I think we've got like 10 studies on the program. It works. It increases self-compassion. It increases happiness. It reduces depression, anxiety, stress, and Helps with body image. You know, this is not just a good idea. It really is something you can do starting this moment.
0: It's profound. I'm going to link to it. And I just want to remind you that we can be so loving and accepting of ourselves exactly as we are right now. And we can also take big bold actions to move ourselves forward in yes. a direction that can completely change our lives. And it takes one step at a time, one step at a time. So if what we've talked about today resonates with you. I want you to think about what is one action I'm going to practice this week because it is a practice. It doesn't come naturally to any of us. It's a practice. What are you going to do? Are you going to get the book? Are you going to get the workbook? Are you going to just bring more awareness and mindfulness to how to show practices
1: on my website just hit play.
0: very easy just hit play so many (laughs) options for you. So many free options. You know, if you're, if you're wanting to make an investment, there's options there as well. So we'll link to everything down below Dr. Neff, if I could ask you one last question, if you were to type an email that was going to land in the inbox of every woman's email tomorrow morning, and it was the last thing that you could say the last message you could send, what would you say?
1: Yeah. So I would just let people know that you have this amazing resource. It's like a superpower to radically change your life for the better every moment. And you don't even realize it's there. You know, you have the power of care and compassion within you. You just have to two things, remember, and then give yourself permission to be compassionate with yourself. And it will literally change your life. Thank you so much for being here today. I
0: truly am just incredibly grateful for our time together and for you sharing your wisdom and all of your tools and tips and tricks that you've been working so hard to gather over the years. So thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
0: Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week.